The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Well, big welcome again to everyone, especially anybody who's coming through the door or joining online for the first time. I want to welcome you to the Common Ground Meditation Community. Some of you know this already, but actually this month, about this time, is our 30th anniversary. We opened September 1993. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of amazing. You know, and now we have a beautiful building here in Minneapolis and a beautiful retreat center about 80 miles away, and things happen over time. And we have this strange world we live in where not everyone lives in Minneapolis or is part of the Kamagong community because we have our online community. One of the few benefits maybe from the pandemic is that things have shifted, not just in Buddhist communities, but in so many of our communities where we're living online, like it or not. I don't think we're going to go back. But it's nice. So big welcome to all of you coming in from other places outside of the Minneapolis metro area. And I've been giving a series of talks on renunciation and this is not a small part of the Buddhist teachings. And uh, it's really, if you're into the practice, if you're finding some value, then you really want to reform any preconceived ideas you might have about letting go, renunciation, because we tend to have a lot of conditioning, seeing it as a kind of sacrifice. But, you know, even the word sacrifice is meant to be a positive thing, but we tend to hear that word and Think of it in this personal way that I have to give away something of value. But the only thing we're shedding, the only thing we're abandoning, is what is subjectively heavy and difficult and worthy of letting go of. We're letting go of ignorance. We're letting go of um, strategies and ways of relating that are stressful because they're stressful. But when our our attention, when the quality of our mind is superficial and distracted, then it's very easy for the mind to be entangled in ways that are stressful, but we're just not paying enough attention to notice how so many of our strategies of just being, how we're relating, how we're connecting, are the cause for stress. And just to have a real humility, we take ourselves, we take this mind and body to be something that it's actually not. So part of our spiritual practice is this discovering, like, what is this? Because <laughs> it's so, you know, this now for most of us is so heavy and ornate, the, the thoughts the meaning I have about me and who I am and what's important to me, it's like we're carrying along a heavy backpack. And we got to protect it, all the thoughts I have about myself. You know, it's so important that you get it, you get me, just the way I want you to get me. And that's such a burden. And i got to even do that for myself. You know, no, no, that's not who I am, Mark. <laughs> Don't believe that. And this works both ways, like, you know, with pride, but also with self-hatred and 
shame and all the ways where we might be disgusted with our life, with ourselves, with our tendencies, swinging back and forth sometimes even. So this uh, this style of practice, it's kind of inspired by, some of you know, Ajahn Brahm. He's quite famous English uh, Buddhist monk, but he's been an abbot of a Buddhist monastery in Australia for a long time now. And he's, he's quite well known. He's written a number of books. And he's uh, in the lineage of Ajahn Chah, a very well-known Thai teacher who's dead now. But uh, Ajahn Brahm, and I put this in our um, Google Doc that has all the articles in case you want to do a little study. So those of you online, it's in the chat, so you can get that at any time. Um, but those of you here in the room, if you want to get that Google document that has all the links for uh, articles related to what I've been talking about these last few weeks, just go to the calendar event for this morning program, and you'll see the link for that Google Doc there for the 1030 weekly practice group. And um, I, I put a link in there for Ajahn Brahm's, um, I think he calls it the basic, basic method for meditation practice or something like that. And, uh, and one of the, the basic formula that he uses is like, you train your mind to be able to sustain present moment awareness. But don't have any more ask than that. <laughs> Just sustaining present moment awareness. So you could be acting like a fool, but as long as there's that thread of, oh yeah, acting like a fool is like this. Right? So then you're doing that job. And, hopefully got a little bit of a taste during the guided meditation. It's like, it's not such a big ask. It doesn't mean we can do it for an hour or for the rest of our lives. But you should be able to sustain present moment awareness. It doesn't matter if there are thoughts or not. It doesn't matter what the mind is knowing or not, right? As long as there's that reflective, that wise reflective sense, oh yeah, this is being known now. It's like this now. This is what the mind is doing, or this is what the mind is doing. That's the non-distraction. And distraction means we're not aware that this is being known, because we're lost in the activity of the mind. We're absorbed in it. We're like in a dream. But we're not aware. It's not a lucid dream. We're not aware. Oh yeah, the mind's dreaming. The mind's distracted but I'm aware that the mind's distracted. Well, is that distraction? The real distraction is when the mind is not aware. It's worrying about something, but it's not aware that it's worrying. It's thinking about something, but it's not aware that it's thinking. It's concerned, it's agitated, but it's not aware that it's concerned or agitated. Right? It's wanting something, but not aware of that. So it's like uh, step by step, by step, we can experiment with how simple the mind is. And it's like getting to know ourselves in a deeper spiritual sense, shedding, oh, I guess all of that worry, all of that, the kind of decorations that the meaning my thinking mind constructs, I guess that's not me, because I'm learning to abide in a place where I'm... Okay, so whoever I am, whatever this is, it's about... it's the present moment. 
And then when we train in the silent, sustained present moment awareness, right, then we realize that whoever I am, whatever this is, this life, right, me, I, me, mine, whatever it is, it's not dependent on thought, because we get a real sense of whatever we are that's not dependent on thought. It's independent of thought. Okay. That's a different sense because a lot of times, you know, when we're living an ordinary, superficial life, who we think we are is, is really can be synonymous with our interpretation. You know, what we tell ourselves, who we tell ourselves, who we tell we're, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like our biography. You know, the little bio we keep rewriting. Oh yeah, this is who I am. And we're that sort of self-narration uh, of who we are. So to have sustained and silent present moment awareness really corrects that wrong understanding. doesn't mean that we won't use thought. It just means thought now becomes something the mind does that is not essential to what this is. And that's a real shift for a lot of us to learn to hang out in that sustained, silent, present moment awareness. So I'm not the distractions. I'm not whatever I am, whoever I am, not dependent on thought. And then the, the, there's many more steps, so we just did a few. And then the next is to, just as a training, not forever, right, to train to keep just one particular aspect. And, you know, through the history of meditation, there have been any number of things, you know, visualizations, prayers, spiritual contemplations. Here in the early Buddhist tradition, we often use body, either the totality of the body, whether it's sitting or walking or standing, or a specific aspect of the body, like the natural process of breathing in and out, or hearing, Right? These are very common meditation anchors. But you could even use, you know, like gazing at a candle flame or, you know, at uh, just the sense of space. <clears throat> you're sitting, you know, up a couple floors and you're just looking out the window and you just see the sky or something like that. Just that visual field where nothing provocative is happening can be a meditation object. But the this third step is... Not only is it non-distraction, but it's silent, right? We're not, the mind is learning to not be dependent on thought in any way. There may be thoughts, but they're in the background. And then non-dependence on the diversity of our experience. So other sounds will be heard, other thoughts will be thought, other sights will be seen, whether our eyes are open or closed, we still see stuff, right? Mental images, feeling a lot, but we're just keeping this one aspect of our experience. Like some of you might feel your breath just in that touching as the air goes in and out of the nostrils, or some people feel just that natural expansion and contraction of the abdomen or rib cage. Just the sensations. And so when we're using that and Ajahn Brahm calls it uh, focused, but it's really this exclusive attention 
to one aspect of our the dynamic of the present moment, right? But still, whatever that is that we're paying attention to, it's it's alive. It's changing too. The breath isn't a static thing. Even if you're just feeling something very specific, like the touching, the experience of touch there at the nostrils is changing. But it, you can see what a radical letting go, renunciation that is. It's like, there are so many things I could be aware of, but for this 45 minutes or this 15 minutes, however long your sit is, for that part of your sit, this is the only thing I'm going to attend to. Moment by moment, just this. You see, and it's like, it's a, I, I'm not kidding, it's really a little death. The, the person who's dependent on having that breadth of awareness, you know, because our mind, that part of the mind that pays attention, basically it's been mostly given a permission to go kind of flit about and be aware of this and then you know, oh, squirrel, look over here, and then that thought and that memory and that pain in the knee, and it just goes whatever, and and moment by moment is the most provocative or stimulating phenomena in the great field of present moment experience. But now we're asking the mind, okay, honey, just as a training, it's not necessarily good or bad, it's just a training that will reveal something to the mind. Because what it reveals is a mind that's not dependent on the diversity of experience. It's just like when you go backpacking somewhere where you don't have cell phone coverage, and you realize, this is especially true for the younger half in the room, you know, oh, I guess I'm not dependent on cell phone coverage, you know, or the internet for a week. I mean, that's a profound thing. Or just to... You know, some people, just as a training, don't bring their electronic stuff into the bedroom. You know, so if you're, when you walk into that room, you're alone. <laughs> Patrice uh, sent me, I, and this is also in the link of, uh, in the resources, but there's a podcast, some of you know, Hidden Brain, it's great. Um, and one of the episodes is about renunciation. It's uh, this woman who, wrote a book on dopamine. Do you remember the subtitle of the book? Yeah, yeah but it's, it's, it's basically really looking at this whole addictive cycle that we tend to get ourselves in and how it builds on itself and how important it is to, to break it. Because we keep, the mind is just the, the way the mind can operate. It can keep imagining more hits and seeking out more hits. And then it becomes more dependent on the hits the more it seeks out hits, right? And so this is, and our economy takes advantage of that aspect of our mind. So our spiritual training is to be really careful about that, which means like in Buddhist practice, what we do is we understand the mind's capacity for profound simplicity. And we we train ourselves to realize, to notice, it feels really good. Simplicity feels really good, but that good feeling is subtle. But it's still a very good feeling, in a good feeling in a transfer, transforming sense. I mean, it really uh, it has a resonance, but it's subtle. 
So if our mind is more addicted to things that are more on the surface and gross and obvious, then we're going to miss that. So part of the training is to learn to notice things that are more subtle, like the pleasure of non-distraction, the pleasure of non-dependence on thought, the pleasure of non-dependence on the diversity of experience. And it just goes beyond that. But just stay attentive, contemplate those first three this week, where you're really going to be interested in, like, uh, just as you're going about your day, not just in your formal sitting time, but like you're doing some task, like walking from your car to wherever you're going next, and you just remember this talk and subject, and you go, oh, this might be a good time, you know, the whatever it's going to take me a minute and a half to get to where I'm going, to practice non-distraction. So whatever the mind notices, whatever the mind thinks, that's okay. I'm just practicing remembering this is happening. It's like this now. This is what the mind is doing. This is what the body's feeling. This is how it is, right? We're just sustaining present moment awareness as we're doing whatever we're doing. It's, you know, we're just sustaining a not, a, a not forgetting the present moment. And you'll get good at it like any skill. If we practice, we get better and better and better at it. And then you can, at other times, especially places where you don't have to socially interact with others, you can practice that silent, sustained, present moment awareness. You know, you're out just looking at the bird feeder, you know, whatever, and you just realize for 30 seconds at a time or longer that... You don't, you'll notice all the off-ramps to think about that, to think about this, but you'll realize that the mind can sustain silent present moment awareness. It doesn't have to follow the impulse to think about this or to think about that. We can just be aware of the impulse, like that I could imagine that, I could think about that, I could speculate, I could, but I don't have to. I could just have that silent, sustained present moment awareness. And just because we're talking about it now, let's just try that for 15, 30 seconds. So first, just get the being present. And then in your own way, wean yourself off of having to be dependent on thoughts. You'll find it's more about relaxing and non-doing than about doing something. And the key with that sustained, silent, present moment awareness is don't feel obligated to chase the thoughts that show up. Oh, stop thinking that, <laughs> right? Because it would be just more thoughts, right? So it's like sustained, silent, present moment awareness is more... That's why I like to say it. It's not about no thoughts. It may be more useful to think of it as not dependent on thoughts, not confused by your thoughts. 
So just let them be there in the background, doing whatever they're doing. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> you know, the thought. It's almost like the thoughts are saying, "This is essential that you think this. Follow me <laughs> down this proliferation, this mental proliferation. You know, one thought leading to the next. But wisdom and awareness, right? That sustained, silent, present moment awareness. It has some wisdom that knows. Could do that. Could think that thought. But don't have to think that thought. But that wisdom is intuitive. It doesn't even need to say that to itself. Initially, you might need to say that to yourself. Don't need to think that. But after a while, wisdom will just, the the, the intuition will just be there. And you'll feel all the things, sense, I should say, all the things you could think about. Because those habits that think about this and that, they're not going to, that's it. Those habits are going to disappear. I mean, they'll slowly wear out through non-use if we do more and more of this sustained, silent, present moment awareness. But we won't lose the capacity, the important capacity to think. And it is an important, necessary skill that the mind has to be able to think through things, to abstract in that way. It's really important to be able to do that to problem solve and to connect with others in, in the ways that we use thought and the meaning that thoughts construct. And then, you know, when we're using the, uh, the one object, like the breath, and we're letting go of the diversity of experience, the next step is when you do get some sustained, silent, focused, present moment awareness, like with just one object, you'll notice at some point, very clearly, the healing pleasure, inner pleasure, of that simplicity, of how simple, how gathered and simple, how still. The stillness is really all about what the mind isn't doing. Right? It isn't distracted, it isn't lost in thought, It isn't concerned about the diversity of experience, has to hear every sound, has to see every sight, has to... No, it really has a different relationship to sensuality, to sense experience. Because right now we have more of what we might, in Buddhist terms at least, consider to be an animal relationship with sense experience. Like we're like thoroughly in this physical, whatever, material realm where sights and sounds and smells and thoughts and touches matter because it's all about survival and, and I'm all, it's all about, you know, threats and possibilities. Like uh, Ajahn Amaro, uh, a wonderful Buddhist monk said, you know, what we care about is, can I eat it? Is it going to eat me? Or can I mate with it? you know, have sex with it. Those are the things that concern us. And everything else is sort of not so interesting. <laughs> but we lo- when we realize how simple the mind can be and how, uh, in a spiritual sense, how satisfying that simplicity is, then that the peace of the non-dependence on distraction, non-dependence on thought, non-dependence on the diversity 
of sense experience, then that piece, in a sense, becomes the meditation object. So what wisdom and awareness is wisely being aware of is the piece of a really simple mind, of a mind that has let go of a lot. And that really sets up a deeper learning that because once the mind tastes that peace, first of all, it starts to change our our relationship to other sense experience because that peace is a much more satisfying pleasure than even the very real pleasures that sense experience can deliver, like being with really good friends and having a fun time satisfying time with really good friends. I mean, that's a pretty wholesome, can be a pretty wholesome, satisfying experience, right? We tend to bring those things to mind when we're not feeling happy, like, oh yeah, but that was so nice, right? But real clear sense of the peace of the not, a mind not dependent on so much is, is much more of a resonant happiness, so then we, we have a less... Uh, Dan, we need that light for the Zoom people because it's harder to see me otherwise. Uh, yeah, that will do. That's not the one, but that's okay. <laughs> that's the bright one. <laughs> there you go. Good. So yeah, so that, that piece is really where we're going. And... To, and then what we're doing is we're connecting that, the peace, with letting go, with renunciation. That's what really builds the value of uh, non-attachment, the renunciation of attachment. Attachment to distraction, attachment to thought and the meaning. See, just because we're not attached to thinking and the meaning thinking you know, constructs, doesn't mean we can't use thinking. It just means mind isn't seeking something from thoughts. Same thing with the diversity of experience. We don't give up on the sensitivity, you know, that breath. It's really a great skill to be sensitive, not just in this focused on one thing, but having the capacity to be sensitive in this broad way is just as useful for us humans as people who have that ability to focus in on one thing. And generally, some of our, us are better at one than the other. But we really want to be good at both, because there, there's a place for both of those kind of skill sets. But we don't want to be dependent as if that breath of awareness is going to feed me, or that even that we want to let go of that dependence on the meditation object too. Because it's not about the meditation object. It's just a skillful means to realize I don't have to be dependent on the diversity of experience. Just like we don't want to be dependent on not thinking. It would be such an unhealthy thing to be afraid of thinking. <laughs> right? I mean, all of that would require thoughts, you know, to think that I should not be thinking. You see, it gets very weird and stressful. It's natural to think. It's natural to be sensitive. It's natural to focus in at times. 
but we want to realize a mind that isn't dependent, isn't feeding, isn't needing anything from whatever aspect of experience we're having. Because that turns out to be the happiness that's worthy of uncovering and abiding with, the happiness of non-dependence, non-dependence and sense experience. Now, right now, for most of us, that's just theoretical, like you're hearing me say that, some interpretation of the Buddhist teachings, but each of us, we have the capacity to learn the difference between my mind, this is in our own subjective experience, my mind that's dependent on whatever it's dependent on, and curious about the non-dependence on that. What would that be like? The non-clinging to, the non-seeking, not trying to become. The Buddha calls these the four floods. Uh, The Pali word is asawa. The four floods, the four... Uh, intoxicant biases, as one is translated, that these outflows, right? Because this is what takes our mind away from that simplicity, that profound simplicity. Thinking that a sense experience is going to make me happy. So that hunger as we look for whatever sense experience might be in the vicinity, or whatever thought, whatever idea that we want to think, sort of off-ramp into mental proliferation that we imagine might lead to something satisfying. I'll plan this. I'll worry about that. I'll think about revenge over here, you know, getting even with someone. That our mind is, when we watch our mind, watch it do these things, we realize there's some sense of somebody being hungry, trying to get something, trying to get somewhere, trying to feed a hungry beast, which we never find, actually, that hungry beast that gets fed. But it sure seems like it's there. And one of the things this author that is part of this podcast, uh, who wrote that book with the title Dopamine, and then the subtitle we can't remember, but it's there in the link. Um, And this isn't just this uh, particular person, because it's it's now been part of our... uh, I'm not sure we'd call it neuroscience, but just understanding the body and mind is uh, what's actually more addictive is the wanting more than the gratification we get. The thing that triggers the uh, whatever those chemicals are in the brain and the body that that causes that repeated cycle, that addictive pattern is really being addicted addicted to wanting the excitement of the promise. That's what's addicting. The idea that something is going to satisfy the sense of me. That's what we can't get enough of. Right? And when we have a deeper meditative experience, we're, we're kind of challenging that whole framework that there's a somebody who's addicted to wanting, addicted to the possibility. You know, it's like I often joke personally about wanting the perfect cabin, you know, the perfect retreat cabin. 
well, nobody will bother me. No small insect will bother me. No four-legged rodents will bother me. No people will bother me. No neighbors will bother me. No bad weather will bother me. No kind of maintenance on the building will bother me. And on and on like that, right? Invasive plants will bother me. No predators that are used to be endangered or now coming back <laughs> will bother me. There's just been some stories about what to do with the grizzly bears that have a healthier population in Montana now. Yeah, it's like we have this idea and I definitely, my mind likes wanting that utopia. But I have, you know, because I've been practicing for a while, sort of almost balanced, I'm not sure it's quite there, but catching up with the juiciness of wanting the perfect retreat cabin is that kind of sober, grounded sense. Basically, it would probably be a pain in the ass. Or it would be nice, but this, 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 and that, right? So just a kind of sober, like, yeah, but, yeah, there'd be a few nice days. Yeah, there'd be a few times when the breeze is strong enough to keep the mosquitoes away. Yeah, there's a few minutes when the sunsets are nice, when the clouds aren't covering it, or it's not just the boring, so you want a few clouds. Catch the color. <laughs> you know? like, so you just sort of see, it's what's catching up is the suffering of needing something is starting to get greater than the pleasure of having something. Have you ever seen that in your life? Because this would be the perfect conversation, those of you who want to stay for the small groups that we have every Sunday, whether you're online or here in person, or even if you don't like to stay for the small groups, because it's just optional, of course, then just in your own contemplating at home or having a conversation with a dear friend that's uh, kind of into understanding the heart and mind better, then to have this conversation about where in your life has uh, some of the addictive desires that you've had, has this sense of the weightfulness of needing something, being the one who needs, being the one who will be happy only if, that that ends up being more weightful than the promise, the imagined promise. And then, like, well, if it happens, fine, but if it doesn't happen, that's okay, too. And this can, this can really transform every part of our life. Perfect relationship, having a lot of money, having a lot of health, having a lot of, you know, belonging, or whatever... You know, I'm not just talking about unwholesome desires we have, but even the wholesome desires. Great, it's fine if if we get world peace and we solve global global climate crisis and we finally do the deep work of racial injustice and uncovering our racial biases and really start to look at economic injustice and and body shaming and you know and the other list which would be all great, 
I mean, I, I really, that would be such a profound alleviation of suffering. But in our subjective experience, if we're dependent on that perfect society remaining perfect, we'd still be suffering. It'd still be a lot fairer, you know, and a lot of suffering would be away. But the dependence on it not changing is its own kind of suffering. So to be a real activist, whether your activism is raising a family or changing the world, to be a real activist, it's really useful to be free of any dependence. So then you can really, the energy you have to bring to your activism is really boundless. But when our heart is dependent on things being this way or that way, then then we're exhausted and we get brittle and we become bitter even. And, uh, and then in the unpleasantness of our life, we become more dependent on these addictive cycles. We seek happiness in things that don't provide lasting happiness. They give us just enough of a semblance of happiness that the addictive pattern continues. So nobody says that sense experience isn't pleasurable. It's just a pleasure that doesn't really scratch an itch. And that the wanting pattern continues. It may shift from this to that, but the addiction to wanting to be the one who wants continues. And that's a stressful way to be a human being and an an unnecessary way. So we'll keep this uh, conversation going for at least two more Sundays while I'm in town. And uh, feel free to track down those articles. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Some's more um, kind of traditional and, and uh, the suttas and discourses from the Buddha. And some of it is really contemporary and, and really accessible stuff. So you can snoop around and see what information might be useful for you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.